Well, welcome to church, everyone. It's good to have you here. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them you're at a good place right now. Tell them God loves you. Tell them you smell good. Those of you who are online, thank you so much for tuning in. I pray that you, as well as everyone in the house, has an encounter with God and you're inspired to walk by faith and trust God in the middle of your circumstances. That's the prayer. Uh, God, we humble ourselves before you. Have your way here, Lord. We need you desperately. You know the story behind, uh, behind every, every uh, soul here, God. And, and I just pray that uh, you have your way here. Holy Spirit, move in and through me according to your will, according to Isaiah chapter 61. Anoint this message. Speak to the person who's far from you and speak to the person who's close to you, God. Speak to the person who hasn't been in church in a long time and, and also to the person who's heard a million messages, God. Would you speak to everyone, Lord? We need you desperately, Jesus. There's no other name. There's no greater power in your name, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So good to see everyone at church. You all look so good. Uh, uh, hey, last week I was, in, uh, I was in Nashville, and I was moving my son and his, uh, him at the time, but he and, and his fiance, they're getting married next week, and they're going to be moving out there. So I, was, uh, I went ahead to help them move in, like kind of thing. They're, she's still here. He's here. Anyway, so I, I, took, uh, I, I took stuff. And uh, while I was over there, the grass is really green. Are you aware of that in the south? The grass is green. And unlike here, my grass is like starting to burn up or something. And with all the sun here. And, uh, and there's trees are big. Trees are big over there. Um, anybody from the south? Anybody from the south? Um, how y'all doing tonight? How y'all doing? Y'all doing all right? Um, so I, uh, I, I was there and I was hoping to move in and everything was just big, you know, the green. But you know what I noticed uh, what else was big? Wasps. Wasps are big. And I saw a wasp over there that was bigger than any other wasp I've ever seen. It was red and black, and I was going up the steps, and I, I don't know what it was doing, but its rear end was just like bouncing like this, and he was eyeing me, just watching me like this. I saw his eyes just looking at me like that, and I, I took a step or two, and then I stopped, and I backed away, and he just followed me just like that. And I, Now, I'm, I'm not a guy who's afraid of much. I, I'm okay with being in a lightning storm, a thunderstorm. I'm okay being in ICU and COVID for 10 days, <laughs> knowing God's going to take care of me. I'm, I'm not the guy who gets startled, I, you know, scary movies or whatever. I'm not afraid of the devil because Jesus is with me and he's greater than the devil. I'm not afraid of, but wasps, <laughs> I'm just being real with you. They scare me. The other day, uh, about a week ago, we got home, Grace and I, and we live right over here in, in Thornton, and, and it's probably around 10 o'clock at night, and I got out of the Xterra, and she got out of her side, and it was at nighttime, and I walk into our garage, and she runs like to, into the garage, and she says, there's a snake, there's a snake, and I'm thinking, it's just a little old gardener snake, I don't know why she's yelling, and I went out there, and it was like a 10-foot long snake. It was like, like two feet, but it was a bull snake. It looked like 10. I, I don't mind snakes either. But when I saw that thing, I thought, well, I'm going to pick it up. And I'm going to just let it go somewhere else. And that thing coiled up and started hissing at me. 
Now we, not game on now, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is getting real. But are you afraid of anything? Are you afraid of anything? You know, uh, there's this relationship that God invites us to have with him. And it's really hard to explain it to other people. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know what you're missing. Let me just say that. If you don't have a close relationship with God, you don't know what you're missing. It's an amazing life. My only regret, you know, I came to know Jesus at the age of 18 years old, and I'm not the guy who grew up with a Bible under my pillow. I'm the guy who went to church faithfully every funeral, and, and that was about it. But I'll tell you what, if I would have known this life was what it is, I would have turned to Jesus when I was, you know, one day old. You know, it's an amazing life. And the life that this world offers is very different from the life God offers through Jesus Christ. It's very, very different. Psalm chapter 23, that's where we're looking at today. And this psalm is about the benefits of walking with God. It's really a list of benefits that come from knowing Jesus Christ. And I mean, it's in the Old Testament, obviously. And it's about God and his, God's relationship with a, a shepherd, a king named David. And it's about that. But we find that se- the same benefits we find in the New Testament. It's the same God. And it's found through Jesus Christ. Today's message is don't be afraid. Say don't be afraid with me out loud. Type it out in the chat. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Um, Before we jump into this, if you're just joining us, we're in this series called The People's Hallelujah. And we're looking at different chapters in the book of Psalms. There's 150 chapters. And many of the Psalms are attributed to King David, who was a former shepherd. And uh, there's beautiful prayers and songs in, 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 the entire, in the entire 150 chapters of Psalms. And chapter 23 is probably one of the most popular chapters. Anybody ever hear of chapter 23? Yeah, you know, you hear about it, you know, I've read it before in funeral services. I, I've read it before in, in, in sensitive situations when life was on the line. And there's so much comfort in Psalm chapter 23. So we're going to walk through that, guys. And let's do this. Um, I want to help you understand this first. David is a shepherd at heart. He's a shepherd at heart. What did, what did shepherds do? They took care of sheep, right? They took care of sheep. So David spent much time out in the prairie land taking care of sheep. He knew what a good shepherd looked like, and he knew what a bad shepherd looked like. He knew how to take care of the sheep and how to protect them from natural predators and, you know, wolves and lions. And, you know, Scripture even says that he fought a bear. And, and, and you, you get this idea of, I mean, David just understands what it's like. He understands what it's like to be in 100-degree weather. <laughs> he understands what it's like to be in those circumstances. And it was there that God called him to be a king. So, Psalm chapter 23. Let's stretch our legs one more time, guys. Would you stand up and let's read it together? Just in honor of the word of, word of the Lord, if you're able to stand. If you're not, that's fine. Psalm chapter 23. Let's read it out loud. Read it out loud. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, open our eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Please be seated. Um, so David, he, he writes this, and, and it's like he's, he wants the readers to understand his God. He wants the readers to understand his God. Verse 1, he says, the Lord is, what is what? My shepherd. Did you, did you catch that? Like, this is, this is uh, personal. This is personal. David is saying, God is my God. He is my shepherd. He's mine. It's very different from him saying something like, the Lord is a shepherd. He doesn't say that. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you, do you have a relationship like that with God that you can just say, he's my God. I know him. I just spent time with him at Starbucks. I just spent time with him this morning in the car. I just spent time with him in my office. I just spent, he is my God. My God, he and I, we have history. He knows where I've been. He, he knows what's happened in my life. You don't know what he's done in my life. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you have that kind of relationship. For much of my life, my early life, he wasn't my God. He wasn't my God. Maybe you could identify with that. Maybe he's not your God. Maybe he's your mother's God, your father's God. Maybe he's your grandma's God, your grandpa's God. Maybe he's your brother's God or your sister's God, but he's not really your God. You know what I'm saying? David's saying he's my shepherd. He has this personal, intimate relationship with God. Like he knows God's mercy firsthand. Some of you have been there before? He knows God's faithfulness firsthand. He knows God's forgiveness and grace firsthand. Hand. He knows the, the power of God firsthand. He knows the power of prayer firsthand. It's not secondhanded information. It's firsthand. He knows God. And David starts off with saying, he's my God. It's, it's incredibly, incredibly personal. And you know, we, we have a tendency to, uh, we care about personal things. You know what, when, when, my, when my kids were in sports, I would go see the, the you know, whether it was my son or whatever, play football and during those days, and I'd, I'd go watch all the games. And you know what, after he's done with all that, and he's not in that anymore, and now he's in college, I have not gone back to that school to watch any games. Because there's nothing in there for me. You know what I'm talking about? When your kid is involved, it's personal, isn't it? They're your heart on legs. So, it, or, or someone you care about is involved. Now it's personal because you have this invested interest in it. And David is saying it's personal. It's personal. And I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. When you look at the first three verses, David says, he's my shepherd. 
He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores me. He guides me. So it's all personal, the first three verses. It's about God takes care of me. He watches over me. He makes me lie down. He restores my soul. He guides me. He is my God. He's my God. And I want you to hear this. God wants to be your God. God wants to be your God. God wants you to know him firsthand. He doesn't want you to know him from a second-handed information or from a preacher or from whatever. He wants you to know his voice. He wants you to know his voice. God wants to be your God. See, you're hardwired for a personal, relational, intimate relationship with God. When you look all the way at Genesis in the very beginning and God created man and and woman, you see it was God's desire to walk with you. You are hardwired for a relationship, an intimate relationship with God. You're not hardwired for, for a social media relationship. You're not. You're not hardwired for that. You're not hardwired to, to uh, put on filters. That's not what you're hardwired for. You're not hardwired about that. And there's nothing against social media, uh, nothing at all. But you know as well as I do, it doesn't matter how many likes you get, how many views you get, how many streaks you get, they don't really know you, do they? But there's one who knows you, and God wants you to know him. Here's, Here's what I think the problem is when it comes to our relationship with God or lack of relationship with God, is this, we become content with a lesser version of intimacy. We become content with a lesser version of intimacy. Hang with me for a little bit. A.W. Tozer said it like this, for millions of Christians, God is no more real than he is to non-Christians. They go through life trying to love an ideal and be loyal to a mere principle. Hmm. You know any of them? Maybe that's you. You know what they look like? They say they go to church and you hear the words that come out of your, their mouth and you're like, really? Or they can turn it on when they want to and, and they, they can maybe even shout out a few Bible verses or whatever or they can say, yeah, you know what? I grew up in church. I grew up in church. And maybe they just pull out the good parts and they say, you know what I believe in? I believe in kindness. I believe in sharing. I believe in loving. I believe in being a good person. And they, they, all the virtues, but do you have, is he your God? Is he my God? Is he, do you have that kind of relationship with him? Well, they treat God like just another principle, a positive force. A positive thing. And, 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 and it's like they just get this surface level, this information about who he is, and they convince themselves that that's who, who God is. When we were at the amphitheater last night, we had a concert at the park, had a great time. It's always interesting talking to people. Always interesting. I was talking to this one guy, and he had a, he had a, a son. 
And I said, you should bring him to our church. We have a, you know, we have a lot of kids. I said, we're breeding kids all the time at Thorn Creek. And incidentally, we're going to start our kids' ministry up on Saturday soon, guys. So hang in there. We have it on Sunday morning, but we're going to start it on Saturday. You guys are breeding kids and bringing them on Saturday. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So yeah, we need to start it up on Saturday. So anyway, so I was talking to him and I said, so why don't you, you could bring your, your kid to church so he could learn how to walk with God. And the kid was probably, I don't know, three years old or something like that, just running around. And then he said, well, yeah, 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 you know what? I grew up in the church. My mom and dad had a really hard time and they got burned by the church and they stopped going to the church. And we stopped going to the church when I was young because my mom and dad got hurt at the church. And ever since then, we completely stopped going to church and then they let me make my own decisions. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna let my kid decide on whatever he wants to believe in. I know that's a popular thought, but I'm going to tell you, parents, it's not biblical. You have a responsibility to point your children to Jesus Christ and to help them understand what's right and what's wrong. Biblically, what's right and what's wrong. Did I just step on some toes? I'm speaking truth, my friend. When you look at the Judeo home, the Jewish home, and you read Deuteronomy chapter 6, it was the parents' responsibility to teach them the word of God. That's how God designed it. You're the first teachers in their life. When I heard that, I thought, well, okay, so this, this, uh, this is this guy's theology. This is what, this is what he believes in. And I talked to someone else, and uh, this guy uh, was much more muscular than me. Um, um, some of you remember what I'm talking about. But he, he, uh, he said he doesn't go to church. He says his church is kind of, you know, at home. You know, and, and that God is with him. And I understand that. God can meet you at home. That's not an issue for me. But I, I do believe the church is the primary conduit to save the world. And I believe the CEO of the church is Jesus Christ. If I didn't believe that, why in the world have I been pouring my life into the church for 25 years? You know, somebody tell me I'm insane and I'll just stay at home and keep my lawn mowed and post some scripture verses on, you know, on social media and I'm all good. Uh, but I, I was talking to this guy and, and he said he doesn't go to church or anything like that. And he shows, he shows a big tattoo on his back of a cross. And, my first, and I understand his heart, and I, I think that's great that, you know, he, 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 it means a lot to him, and I think that's beautiful. But I thought, how many of us are tatted with a cross, but we haven't died to ourselves? You know what I mean? How many of us are, are uh, we're a cross around our neck, but we haven't surrendered to the will of God. How many of us call ourselves a Christian, but we're not willing to serve him? How many of us call ourselves a Christian, but we're not willing to forgive those who hurt us? How many of us call ourselves a Christian, but we're not willing to love difficult people? How many of us call ourselves Christians, and have no problem treating people unkindly? How many of us call ourselves Christians and convince ourselves that God is going to look past all that? How many of us do that? And my concern is we've just, like some of us, have gotten to the place, like A.W. Tozer talks about, Go through life try, trying to love an ideal and be loyal to a mere principle. But you have to understand, 
It's about a relationship with God. It's about a relationship with God. What kind of relationship would your marriage look like if you didn't spend time with your woman or your man? What kind of relationship would your relationship look like if you didn't spend time with your kid? What would that relationship look like? It wouldn't be much of a relationship at all. You'd become roommates or acquaintances. But you have a God who wants to have an intimate relationship with you. It's not an ideal. It's not just some positive thing. It's not just one option out of 10 options. It's about a relationship that God wants to have with you. Here's the problem, like the way Lisa Harper said it. Information about God is a poor substitute for intimacy with God. And sometimes we convince ourselves, if I just get more information, then somehow that will equal more intimacy with God. Well, more information, if I read through this entire book and we just said, we're gonna write, read through this entire book, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, it will not transform you. You will not be changed unless you make a personal decision within your heart of hearts to surrender yourself and let God have his way in your life. You know what I'm talking about. See, the Pharisees who were religious hypocrites in the day of Jesus, they didn't need another Bible study. You know that, right? They memorized a thousand times more scripture than any of us in this room, including myself. They knew scripture. The devil knows the Bible. He quoted it to Jesus. He twisted it when he quoted it to Jesus. But the devil knows the Bible. Just because you know Bible verses doesn't mean you're any different. It's not about more information. It's about obedience. It's about surrender. It's about turning to him with all of your heart. That's what it's about. And for us, for many of us, you know what the, the challenge is or the problem is getting more information is way easier than dying to myself. More information is way easier than loving my enemy. More information is way easier than surrendering to the will of God. More information is way easier than being obedient to God. See, it's not about you looking good around those around you. It's about you having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the desire God has for you. David said, he's my God. <laughs> he's my shepherd. Verse, 20, verse 1, another version, a New Living Translation, says this, the Lord is my shepherd. And then what does it say at that last part, guys? It says, I have. Think about that a little bit. Do you have all that you need? We're so blessed. We live in a place. Like today, I turned on my water in my kitchen, and the water just turned on. It was really cool. That's pretty amazing. We're in a cool temperature room right now. You're watching on video through a really cool flat screen or laptop or your phone, whatever it is. I have all that I need. See, the problem with a lot of us is we can become discontent and we can look and say, boy, that truck, that Hummer looks really nice. I think it's God's will for me to get a Tesla SUV. That new truck Tesla put out. There you go. That's the will of God. That's what it is. There's nothing wrong with possessions as long as it's not the treasure of your heart. There's nothing wrong with anything yet, as long as it's not the treasure of your heart. But here's the problem. 
we could become to, we can get to this place where we lack satisfaction and the enemy could take advantage of that. Wayne Cadero said it like this, when the devil sees that you are never satisfied, you are vulnerable to him. So you could be in a relationship and say, I'm not satisfied with this relationship. I'm going to go to another relationship. I'm not satisfied with this. I'm going to buy something else. I'm not satisfied. And you can just go in like sipping can to can. You can just moving along, moving along. And you can go through life never satisfied. You know what I'm talking about? And God wants you to enjoy the goodness that he brings right in front of you. He wants you to experience his relationship, the blessing that he has right in front of you. Some of you have the the blessings of God right under your nose, and you don't even know it's right under your nose. God wants you to experience that. When you live in a state of dissatisfaction and discontent, you'll always be looking for something or someone to worship. You'll always be looking for someone to fill it. You'll always be looking for something, and the devil could take advantage of that. The devil could take advantage of that. David said this in verse 2, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. You know, the part that, uh, that really stuck with me here is this idea, he makes me lie down. Did you catch that? Did you notice the sheep didn't automatically lie down? David is saying, my God makes me lie down. Makes me. It's because I, I, I got to keep going. I got things to do. I'm busy. I'm in a hurry. Whatever it is. And, and here, David is saying, God makes me lie down. Makes me lie down. You know, if you were a shepherd, you would know this. But there's stories about shepherds. And stories about shepherds during the days of Jesus and during the days of the Old Testament. And it was known that if a, uh, a, a sheep continued to wander, well, the shepherd was aware that there's predators, natural predators out there, and the shepherd was aware of other dangers. So the shepherd would take his rod or his staff and actually break one of the legs of the sheep. Break one of the legs. And then he would pick up, I wish I had a sheep at church today, guys. He'd pick up that sheep and he'd put it on his shoulders or he would carry that sheep so that sheep would feel the warmth of the shepherd and would learn the joy of walking, leaning, being carried by the shepherd. And would learn that, you know what? This is a safe place to be. Wandering can get you in trouble. Reminds me of those times when, you know, when, my, my, when I see parents with little kids, I'm just going to tell you, I'm envious of you. I would do anything for my kids to go back to your ages. You're in a beautiful season. Just enjoy it when I see all that. But I remember when uh, my, my, my kids, Josiah and Hannah, when they were like three years old, two years old, and we'd go to the grocery store, and I'd walk in the parking lot, and I'd hold their hand. And I always remember they wanted to let go of my hand and take off running. You know, parents, you know what I'm talking about? And I held on to them and I said, nope, you're not going to be running around here and not in this parking lot. I'd say, you're going to stay by me. I'm going to hold on to your hand. Now, was I an unfair, strict father? What do you think? Yes or no? Was I unfair? Or should I just let them run around? What was the danger? Cars. The car would easily not see them and potentially hit them and that kind of thing, and it could be dangerous. So I say, you don't understand the danger in this parking lot. 
You don't get it. And I hold on to them. And many times I feel like God, he just knows what's best for us. He knows and he wants to take care of us. I want you to hear this. Sometimes God will let you get broken so he can fix you. Sometimes God will say, you want to know what unfaithfulness looks like? I'm going to let you see what unfaithfulness looks like. You want to know what the other side of evil looks like? I'm going to let you see what the other side of evil looks like. You want to know what disloyalty looks like? I'm going to show you what disloyalty looks like. You want to show what cruelty looks like? I'm going to let you see what that looks like. You want to, you want to see the other side of sin? I'm going to let you see the other side of sin. And sometimes God will let you get broken so that he can fix you. Psalm 23, an author, he, uh, he, uh, he said it like this, and, and this is a, a contemporary version, put it that way. But he, he quoted, he, Psalm 23, he took the words and made it more contemporary. He said this, the clock is my dictator, I shall not rest it makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me into deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done. For my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval they drive me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My in-basket overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. It's a little too close, isn't it? I like what John Ortberg said. He said, I cannot rest in God with a hurried soul. That's why it's so important to come to church. God said the Sabbath, honor the Sabbath. Why did he say that? Because your soul needs a day to connect with God. Your soul needs a day to worship God with other faith-driven believers. Your soul needs a day to worship God. All of a sudden, your rest of the week looks different. Just looks different. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are pretty faithful. And when you miss church one weekend, doesn't it affect you on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday? You're like, I don't know what it is, but this just feels weird. Verse 3, David says, he restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He restores my soul. If you were a shepherd during the days of David, that word restore would mean a lot to you because there were times when you would have to restore a sheep. There were times you would have to take care of a sheep. So here's what shepherds would look for. They would look, and if they would look up in the air in the sky, and if they would see any vultures swarming around, they would immediately run to where the vultures were swarming around and they would look because many times they would find a sheep in what is known as a wadi, W-A-D-I, which is a dried up riverbed. And somehow that sheep would fall into that dried up 
riverbed, and many times that sheep was not able to turn over or was stuck in that wadi. And it was a matter of time, depending on that position of that sheep, that that sheep would eventually die. So he would run to that place where the vultures were at, and he would climb down into the wadi, and he would rescue the sheep from that ravine, and he would bring it back up, and if the, if the legs lost circulation, he would actually put the sheep between his legs and help him to walk, help the sheep to walk, so that he can get back on his feet. He would restore the sheep, because the sheep was downcasted. And some of you know what that feels like. Have you been downcasted before? Have you ever felt like you've blown it? Have you ever felt like you're living in guilt and shame and you just can't look at yourself in the mirror and oh, if he would know, oh, if she would know. And it's just hard and you're living in that dejected place and maybe you can't even forgive yourself. Have you been there before? I want you to know, you have a God who wants to restore you. The devil shares this lie, and here's the lie from the devil, is you will never be that person, you'll never be him again, you'll never just give up, you'll never have that life, you've lost it. But I want you to know, you have a God who knows how to restore. You have a God who knows how to bring peace. You have a God who knows how to provide. He did that with Job. You have a God who knows how to breathe life where there is no life. You have a God who specializes in restoring. Glory to God. That's your God. You have a, yeah, put your hands together, guys. You have a God, even though you give up on yourself, God doesn't give up on you. And even though you're not seeking him, he's seeking you. He wants you to know him. That sin is not your end. You know, in my Bible, I'll just tell you, um, I, 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 my phone, I have the Bible app on my phone, and I think that's a great thing. You know, when you're in line somewhere, it's just very super convenient you know, to pull out your phone and read the Bible, and I get daily verses, you know, on my phone and that kind of thing. But let me talk to you about the brick-and-mortar Bible, <laughs> How many of you have a brick-and-mortar Bible? If you don't have a brick-and-mortar Bible, um, we'll give you a brick-and-mortar Bible. What I like doing in my Bible, and I hope you don't judge me too harshly here, but in my Bible, you'll find uh, things that I write down right along the margin as God speaks to me. Words that God gives me. Promises that he gives me. Like Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's underlined in my Bible. All kinds of things about God giving me strength. And I'm sharing that with you because there will be a time in your life, you will go through a season in your life where you're going to need to go through your Bible to be reminded of God's faithfulness again. There will be a time when you're going to have to go back and you're going to say, boy, I need, oh yeah, he knows me. There it is right there. And you'll read that and you'll say, I remember when he delivered me. I remember when he worked through me. There will be a time when you look at that. If the Bible is just a textbook to you, or some historical document, or some book of rules, then he's not your God. Because at its core, you know what the Bible is? It's a love letter from the God who loves you. 
at the core. It's his will for your life. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows what's best for you. He cares about the desires of your heart. He wants you to know him and he wants you to experience life to the fullest. At its core, it's a love letter. At its core. Verse four is really interesting. When you look at the first three verses, David's saying like, he's my God and he's my, my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd and this kind of thing. But you know what, verse four, it starts off like this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And when you look at four and five and six, you know what happens? It goes from my to your. And he says, you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. So David does something interesting. He stops talking about God and he starts talking to God. Did you catch that? He's telling everyone about his God. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not lack anything. He's telling everyone about his relationship. The Lord is mine. The Lord is mine. And then all of a sudden he starts saying, you are with me. You're my God. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. You've anointed my head with oil. All of a sudden he starts talking about God and starts talking to God. You know what that looks like? I've been talking to you about God, about his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness and his will for your life. Oh, look at this. This is a little bit different now. God, you know every person that came to this church today. You know what my week has looked like, God. I have done my best, God, to seek you with all of my heart, God. And I know you are a good God. And my prayer is, God, that they come to know you, Lord. We need you desperately, God. You're our rock. You're my redeemer. You are a good God. You are holy. You are righteous. There's no heart that's too hard for you, God. There's no marriage that's too difficult for you, God. You are the all-seeing God. You are the all-knowing God. You are the all-present God. You are holy. Jesus, we worship you. So you just saw me talking to God. Whole, completely different. David shifts and he's like, I'm not talking about my God. Oh, let me just talk to God. And you're just going to eavesdrop into my, my relationship with him. And David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Remember, he's a shepherd king. Shepherds lived with danger. They were aware of all kinds of wild animals. And during the days when David was a shepherd, there were lions. Lions are really interesting. Lions, uh, did you know um, many times the lioness, the female lions are the ones that go out for the hunt? Are you aware of that? Ladies, that's a shout out. There it is right there to you. Uh, They're the ones who go out for the hunt. And the thing about lions is they're not intimidated with size. A lot of predators, they'll only, you know, attack animals like their same size or smaller. But lions, they'll go after the giraffe, they'll go after the rhino, they'll go after the elephant. It doesn't matter the size. And they'll, they'll stalk them. And, and they, they, they uh, like they 
pick out the weak or the injured or the old. That's what they do. And they might run into them like headstrong kind of thing, or they might circle around them. And the other thing lions do is they go after that spine in the back, and they bite that spine in the back. They jump it, and then they attack that jugular, that windpipe, and they try to kill it that way. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible death. Hyenas. Hyenas was an animal that David knew about. They're even slower runners than the lion. The things about the hyenas, you know, is, is they have the ability, they have this rich vocabulary of sounds and gestures, and they communicate between each other. They growl and whoop and grunt and yelp and whine as a means of communicating between each other. And they'll chase after this animal, and the minute that animal stops to look back, the hyena has it. Then they all converge. They have incredible jaws. And they kill the thing. And the other animal that David knew about was wolves. Wolves. There was a biologist named Dr. Gordon Haber, and he, uh, he studied a pack of wolves in Alaska. A pack of wolves in Alaska. And he discovered wolves, wolves are incredibly patient and they will watch its prey from a distance for a long time. And eventually, let's say in Alaska, he studied this pack that was after uh, caribou. So eventually, this herd of caribou would get spooked, and the wolves would watch. And the minute one of the caribou in the back would go off of the hard path, like in the snow, go off of the hard path and wander off into the snow drifts, the wolves had them. See, the devil is just like that. Scripture tells us we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. You think you have an issue with someone? It's a spiritual issue. The devil just wants to happy you. Scripture says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. You think you have an issue with someone? It could be really simple. The devil just has a hold on your heart. You don't have an issue with someone. The devil just has a stronghold on you. See, the devil waits in the tall grass. He knows when you are vulnerable. He knows how to, how to, trip you up. The devil knows the best opportunity to get you is when you're tired, when you're discouraged, when you're worn out, when you're suspicious, unbelieving, when you're harboring resentment and grudges, when you're stressed and worried, when you feel like you're losing your footing or you're listening to the wrong voice. Just like the wolves, the lions, the hyenas, the devil knows. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me. I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
See, Jesus is the good shepherd. And Jesus has invested interest in you. Other people may have abandoned you in your life, but God, Jesus will never abandon you. Other people may have hurt you, but Jesus is not going to hurt you. Jesus won't leave you. He cares and feeds and protects and has even died for, for the sheep. I, uh, I went out on the way to Nashville. We stopped at um, Mike and Kathy Heiss, and they live in St. Joseph, Missouri. They used to attend here. They're here tonight. Um, and uh, and uh, they left Colorado for Egypt. I mean, they, anyway, they, they left. But uh, I, I kid them around how this is a promised land and Missouri's Egypt. But anyway, so, um, um, but they were sharing a story. Uh, Kathy lost her dad uh, about a year ago or so, I believe. And um, he was a believer, a believer in Jesus. And, and um, shortly after the, the death of her father, the graduation of her father, uh, she shared the story with me at her dinner table, and she gave me permission to share it with you guys. But she said that uh, she had a dream. She had a dream, and in her dream, she was sitting at a, a table, a dining room table, and her dad was sitting at the dining room table. Right? This is after he has passed on. And, and she has a conversation with him, and she's asking him questions about heaven. And she's asking him, so what, tell me about heaven, tell me about heaven. And, and he told her, oh, there's so many words, there's too many words to describe heaven to you. And then he said, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Isn't it good to talk about heaven? We're not going to be here forever. Your body's reminding you that, right? Every day. Your body's reminding you, you're not designed to live forever. Some of you, you're not at that season of life. Your skin is young. Your skin is tight. Nothing's hanging. You know, you're just at a different place. <laughs> but you're not designed to live forever. Heaven waits for us. Verse 5, he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. David has gotten to this point where he even recognizes, you know, all those things that I used to worry about, those enemies that I was fearful of, all those bad people that I thought were after me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You are the all-seeing God. I didn't have to worry about anything. You've been with me all along. I didn't have to fear I didn't have to be afraid. I didn't have to worry. None of those things because you've been with me all along. And then verse 6, he says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word, surely goodness, and what's that word? Loving kindness. Do you see that? Goodness and loving kindness. Will, what will it do? It will... Follow me, right? I'm gonna, this is another version. New Living says this, surely your goodness and unfailing love. Say unfailing love with me. What will it do? It will what? It will pursue me. So that word unfailing love, the version before said loving kindness. It means hest love. That's what it means in the original Greek language, H. E-S-E-D, Hest love. 
Hest love is completely different. In fact, there's not one word really in the English vocabulary that captures the meaning of Hest love. It's not merely an emotion. It's not a feeling. It involves action. It describes a sense of love and loyalty that inspires mercy and compassionate behavior. Hest surpasses ordinary kindness and friendship. It's amazing grace. It runs deeper than social expectations, responsibilities, fluctuating emotions, what is deserved or earned by the recipient. Hest love is unfailing love. It's faithful love. It's steadfast love. It's loyal love. It's love that doesn't walk out on you. That's Hest love. And Hest love at its root is an intimate covenantal relationship with God. That's what Hest love is. It's not conditional. Some of you have conditional love for people, don't you? Hest love is unconditional. It's God's love for you. It's God's care for you. Maybe you need to know God. Some of you need to say, I need to know my God. Maybe that's just not where you're at. And maybe God is speaking to you. My prayer is that Psalm 23 becomes just a diary of your relationship with God. I want to pray for you. And I want to give you an opportunity to turn to God. And those of you who are watching online, I want to give you an opportunity to turn to God right where you're at. Let's pray. If that's your desire, just say, God, I... I want to have an intimate relationship with you. I don't need more information. I just want to surrender myself to you, God. I ask you to invade my home, invade my life. Be Lord of my past and Lord of my present and Lord of my future. Jesus, I choose you to be my Savior. And if you're not a Christian, maybe you need to say this. God, right now, as best as I know how, Jesus, I ask you, to change my heart, to be my Lord. Forgive me for my sins. I turn to you. Others of you who might consider yourself a Christian, maybe you need to say this, God, forgive me. I recognize now that it's not about more information, but it's about knowing you. And I seek you, God. Speak to me. Give me a new craving for your word. Give me a new desire to know you, God, in a way that I have never, never known you. Thank you for your goodness. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song, and I'm so excited about it, guys. It's called The Goodness of God. Have you heard it before? Pretty popular song, Goodness of God. And this song, um, it comes from Psalm chapter 23, verse 6. It comes from that. It says, I love you, Lord. That's what it says. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercies never fail me. Can you, say, can you just say amen to that? Your mercies never fail me. I've been held in your hands. I've been held in your hands. And then it says, from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. It's that Hest love. 
And one of my favorite lines in this whole thing is when it's about, let's go to that, 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 that last one. Your goodness is running after me. That sounds just like Psalm chapter 23, verse 6, doesn't it? Your goodness is running after me. Some of you, I want you to know, the Hest love of God is running after you right now. The Hest love of God is running after you. And that's why you're at church right now. That's why you're watching this video right now. It's because the Hest love of God is pursuing you like a lion in the tall grass. God wants you to know him. God wants to set you free from guilt and shame. God wants to set you free from any spiritual bondage. God wants to set you free from a hard heart. God wants to set you free from resentment and bitterness and lust or whatever it is. God is pursuing you. Would you let him have you right now with all of your heart? Let's stand up, guys. Make this your prayer.